Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey spooksters and welcome back to another stabby snippet here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara. Happy New Year's Eve. And as always, I am here with my ghoul friend, Jessica. Happy New Year! Yay! (laughs) Last day of 2020, the dumpster fire. It is. (laughs) We all need to yell Jumanji at midnight. Yeah, I probably won't even be up till midnight because I can't. I'm old. It's fine. I mean, now that there's like no parties to go to, it's like, oh, I'm going to go to bed and get that extra hours of sleep. Pretty much. I mean, I'll probably just set an alarm and Thomas and I will wake up and kiss and go back to sleep and then listen to the four hours of fireworks outside. Right. Oh, God. Yeah. No, I got those number balloons for that, say, 2021 to at least decorate my house. I got them off shine. Oh, nice. But anyways, so today I wanted to bring something a little bit more fun, a little bit more lighthearted. We've had a lot of heavy cases lately that all involve children, and we have a stabby coming up that's under the same realm as that, but we've already recorded it since we record stuff early. So Jessica and I kind of needed the the mental break. And plus, like, we thought it'd be cool to have something kind of fun on New Year's Eve for you guys. So I found this and I thought it worked great. I'm excited for it. Yes, it's super interesting. So I'm going to be talking about the Gardener Museum heist today. So the Gardner Museum is located in Boston, Massachusetts, and it was built in 1901 under the ownership of Isabella Stewart Gardner. Very much rich people things. The building was originally going to just be used to house all of her extensive art collection because that's what she did. But then probably was like, (laughs) oh yeah, I could do something with this and opened it up to the public as a museum two years later in 1903. I like that. I have this hobby, which is quite expensive. And how do I make money from it? I know, charge people to look at it. Right, exactly. It houses 15,000 pieces of art. That's a lot. Yes. And when Isabella died in 1924, she left $3.6 million to the museum under the stipulation that none of the art that was in there was ever sold and no new pieces were ever added. So she wanted it to be preserved as is. Okay. Which fair? Which fair? I mean, it's it's a big-ass collection. It's not like mm-hmm. half the building was full and they were like, just kidding, this is going to be a, a Wiener schnitzel now. It's, um, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
No, totally. <laughs> so jump in 60 years. So going into the 80s, the museum's budget began to dwindle and there was updating to the building that needed to be done, such as routine maintenance. They needed to add in a climate control system because they didn't have anything like that. And they had like high scale art in there. And that can be important. And they also had no insurance on the building at all. No active policy. What? No, nothing. Dear museum operators, you are failing at your job. Well, this was in the 80s. I'm I'm sure they have one now, especially after the heist, you know. I mean, the 80s, people were very competent in insurance. Yeah, true. So in 1982, the FBI had actually been tipped off that someone was planning to rob the museum. So they, of course, met up with the museum director and told them, like, you need to up your security measures around here. And they did. They had 60 infrared motion detectors installed and also a closed circuit television system, so a CCTV. And this consisted of four cameras placed around the building's outside perimeter. They also added in more security guards on staff as well, but they didn't do any cameras inside because the board of trustees thought it'd be too expensive. This is like one of those decisions where later they're like sitting back in the room and they all look at like the one guy who was like, well, we could just not put security cameras inside. And they're like, fucking Fred, you let us down the wrong way, you dick face. (laughs) Right. And about six years later in 1988, I don't know how this came about, but basically this like security expert guy came in to essentially do like an audit is what I got from it on the building saying like what they needed to do. And he was like, y'all need those cameras inside. You fucking need them. But they were still like, it's too expensive. It's fine. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, fucking dude told you. Fucking dude told you. But okay. Which will bring us to March 18th of 1990, the day of the heist. So this event happened in the early hours, like literally just after midnight. So of course, the day before that is St. Patrick's Day and you're in Boston. So you know people are out partying. Come on. And there was. And what's interesting was witnesses say later that around this time, they saw our robbers that we have in this story leave a party nearby the museum around 1230-ish. And then they sat in their red hatchback car for about an hour. So they were they were there in the immediate area. Just chilling in like an 86 Corolla, apparently. They have an itinerary. They're like, we got to go <laughs> at this time. So we're going to just sit here and play cards and wait. It's fine. <laughs> oh, yeah, because they didn't have like phones. No. It was either like in silence or someone had to like play the radio. Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even exist when this happened, so... <laughs> I did. Barely. I was four. So that night, two guards were on duty at the museum. The first one was Richard E. Abbott. He was age 23. And the other is Randy Headstand. He stand. I'm not sure how to say it. Sorry, guys. Age 25. And fun fact, this was Randy's first night shift at the museum. Poor Randy. (laughs) Poor Randy. Oh, God. And Richard had been working there a while, but was still described in videos and on sources as, quote, inexperienced. And I don't know if this was really the correct term. I think it was probably because of more like how he was. And what I mean is it was just a job to him. It wasn't like his passion or anything like that. So he's just kind of like meh about it to begin with. He was actually a musician during the day and did like music stuff and all of that. And in the night, he had the security job. And he had been quoted saying it was just a boring regular job. It wasn't anything to really take too seriously. (laughs) I mean... This isn't Night at the Museum, people. This isn't like... Right. There's no exhibits coming to life. 
No, Sacagawea and Teddy Roosevelt falling in love. Like, none of that shit. Right, exactly. Like, I'm not hating him on that. I thought it was kind of funny. (laughs) And along with this, it was also noted that a lot of times he would be finishing a show or whatever and then coming to work or he'd have a little bit in between and he'd come to work under the influence of substances or alcohol. Just because there was, it didn't matter because he just sat there. But he said the night of the heist, he was actually sober. But I'm like, were you though? Because it's St. Patrick's Day, but okay, it's fine. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you really think about it, drug testing now is like pretty easy. But like, I have a feeling like if I was a security guard, I'd be like, I'm bored. What can I do? Hmm. I'm here by myself. Yeah. But see, here's the thing that I thought was funny. The reason why he's like, I was definitely sober that night was because he was like, I needed to go to work. I needed to not, you know, show my ass or anything because the next day or like that next evening, he had tickets for Grateful Dead that he needed to go to. So, I mean, that's a great reason. Right. Sober and at work. Like, I'm not going to fuck around. I can't get. Well, I mean, if you got fired, you could still go to the Grateful Dead concert. Yeah. It'd be a little bit of a bummer, but it's the Grateful Dead. So Mm -hmm. you'd be okay at the end of it. And something to note, they never were able to figure out if it was a weird coincidence or if the robbers did this, but at 12.54 a.m., the fire alarm went off on the third floor, but there was no fire. So obviously someone maybe pulled it or else it's just a really odd coincidence. Then flash forward to 1.24 a.m. and the intercom buzzer goes off and Richard answers it and it's two policemen saying they were responding to a disturbance call and they needed to come in immediately. And considering, like I said, it's St. Patty's Day in Boston, all that, Richard's like, okay, this isn't too weird. So he granted them entry, which let me asterisk here for you. It's against museum safety protocol to let anybody in after hours, even policemen, because, you know. They just have tight security because literally like hundreds of millions of dollars worth of shit in there. But you would think that the police would be allowed in if there was like something amiss. Nope. I saw the documents. I don't know. And he later states that he did this because he didn't want to end up arrested because, like I mentioned, he had this concert to go to, which he said that that's what he said in his uh, interview. He's like, I didn't want to get arrested because I needed to go to this concert. (laughs) So he was trying not to, you know, misbehave. So that's why he let them in. So the two cops approach Richard at the desk and one of them says, quote, you look familiar. I think we have a default warrant out on you. Come out here and show us some ID, end quote, which I'm sure you can guess why they did this, because can you guess? Do you think they're real cops? I wonder. They wanted to get him away from the desk, which would have the little panic button to alert the police to come like how banks have the little panic button. They had one at his desk. Oh, yes. Well, before Richard knows it, he is pushed up against the wall and being handcuffed by these guys. And he had said he thought it was weird that they didn't frisk him or search him first. They just pushed him up and handcuffed him. So he was starting to wonder if they were really cops at all. And enters poor, poor Randy. Ah, Randy. I feel so bad for him. And they do the same thing to him, you know, push him up against the wall and handcuff him. And obviously he's super confused and he's asking, like, why am I being arrested right now? What is going on? One of the men says to him, quote, you're not being arrested. This is a robbery. Don't give us any problems and you won't get hurt. End quote. Gasp. We're so surprised. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) 
I just like, you can imagine like one second Randy's like, oh fuck, I'm getting arrested. Oh fuck, they're stealing everything and I'm losing my job. (laughs) Right? Oh, poor guy. But Randy says to the dude, he says, quote, don't worry, they don't pay me enough to get hurt, end quote. So at least he was smart not to fuck with them and you know, loses life over the job. So so the robbers then take Richard and Randy down to the basement where they duct tape their heads. And when I first heard this, I was like, do you mean mouth? But then I saw a picture and it was like wrapped around their heads top to bottom. Uh, think on movies when they would get like dental work done and they had the gauze around their head. It was like that. And then they taped it around their mouth and then their eyes. I was like, ow. <laughs> Because, like, they showed uh, Richard and he had long hair. I'm like, oh, no. He didn't have long hair after that. Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm laughing. I was just like, oh, fuck. I was horrified. No, like, literally, I just, like, had a moment of, like, how do you get duct tape out of hair? Right? Oh, my God. I don't even. I don't. I don't know. Mm -mm. I'm going to have to Google it later. I bet it's baby oil. Probably. But still, fuck. I feel like that's everything. Yeah. So after after they, you know, take them down in the basement, duct tape them and all of that, the robbers then head back up to the second floor into the Dutch room and they start grabbing art. And how they removed it is they had like razor blades and then just cut it out of the big frames because obviously that's easier to take that way. Well, yeah, because like some frame, some pictures are huge. And like if you can just roll it up. All right. So they ended up taking 13 pieces. In 1990, the FBI had estimated that the value was $200 million. Like, it's no surprise. Like, they've worked this case for, like, up until even today, they're still working on it. Anyway, so by 2000, they changed that estimate to $500 million. And then around 2010s, they're like, no, it was $600 million. And it's considered to be the largest museum heist in terms of value until it was surpassed by the Dresden Green Vault burglary in 2019. So it's fucking serious shit. And I don't know much about art, but for anybody who does, they took, uh, there was one, two, three, three or four, I see three right here, Rembrandt portraits. One's the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Another one's a lady and gentleman in black. And one's a self-portrait. They took an ancient Chinese goo, which kind of looks like a candlestick type of thing. They took a Vermeer, which is titled The Concert. And then they also took a French imperial eagle finial. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Basically, it's like the eagle golden parts that was attached to a flag. They were trying to take a flag out of there, but they couldn't get it. So they took that. And then they took some other paintings. So obviously a lot of high scale paintings. So a lot of money. And once they started, there was this alarm going off, which was installed to let, you know, the security cards on duty know, like, if someone was too close to the art and that type of thing, which in turn, they would then, you know, if needed, push the button to notify the police. And this system is obviously majorly flawed, if you can't tell, because there's no one to tell the police about any of this happening right now because they're in the basement. And what's interesting is that the robbers went in and located this alarm and actually smashed it to shut it off like they knew where to go, supposedly. So there's that. Then at 2.28 a.m., the robbers checked on the guards in the basement. They're still handcuffed and duct taped to high heaven. So they move on to destroying the tapes that had the footage of them outside of the side door of the museum. And then that like entryway they came in. I like that they checked on them. Like they went through extreme lengths to bind them and keep them in a low area of the museum. But they're like, you know what we should do? We should waste valuable time and go back and look. Yep. 
Yep, they did. Even though feet, hands, face, everything bound, but it's okay, whatever. So after they did that, after they destroyed the tapes and whatnot, they loaded the art into their red hatchback in two trips, witnesses would say. I'm like, why is nobody doing anything and they're seeing them put this in there? Like, okay, but whatever. Tara, you know this from listening to my stabby that comes out next week. People see shit and don't say shit. Oh my God. Just be ready for me to be pissed off next week. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So hours would go by without, like I said, anyone knowing what happened until it was time for a shift change, which was between 6.45 and 8.16. This is when the morning shift showed up and they couldn't get into the museum. I'm assuming they had it so they had to be buzzed in. I don't know because it didn't talk about anybody having a key. They were basically just like, we can't get in something's wrong like these dudes should be here so those guys one of them on the morning shift was a supervisor so he called the police and they would arrive by 8 30 a.m and this is when they discovered everything that happened which i'm sure was interesting so of course they start you know the investigation and processing the crime scene all of that and it was just really weird because with this i saw conflicting things one thing was trying to say that the robbers wore gloves so they got no fingerprints and then others say yes we got fingerprints because that's how they ruled out Somebody later. So I was like, maybe they got partial prints. I'm not sure. But obviously, they questioned Randy and Richard because they were there. And the robbers didn't conceal their faces at all. Like, they were wearing just the police uniforms. That's it. And they really didn't focus on Randy too much. It was more so Richard, probably because he had been there longer and they were stereotyping him. And then also, he told them when he was talking to them, he had a hard time remembering the exact details of like their faces and what they looked like. And then later, like down the road in an interview, he said that the police sketch they had was absolutely awful. I was like, well, if you can't remember, like, how are you going to say it's absolutely awful? Like, just saying, but okay. (laughs) It sounds like Richard imbibed a lot, so he probably wasn't, like, fully there. Yeah. Also, people in their, like, fight, flight, or stay moments, some people, like, just don't, like, they can't, everything goes grainy, they can't see details, they can't focus. So he may have just been like, oh, shit. Like, I'm just protect oneself. Spaced out, basically. Yeah, yeah. So there really wouldn't be much answers. And then in April of 1994, so a few years later, there was an anonymous letter that came in to the director of the museum. And the author of this letter said that they knew where the artwork was and was willing to return it to the museum for a price. That he didn't know much about the robbers, but he knew about the art and that was what they wanted back, you know. And they also said in his letter, they seemed like he had a lot of knowledge about the art industry as a whole. So I'm assuming between that and maybe something else that the the FBI hasn't released, like there was something that set off radars in that letter that they took seriously because the author was requesting $2.6 million, which is quite the bargain for them when it's, you know, $600 million worth of stuff. And the museum was like, yes, we'll do it. And they waited on another letter. And so the author of this letter said that they were worried because he was like, I'm just the middleman. I don't want to, you know, take the fall for it. So I don't know if I'm going to give you exactly the location, but I'll give you some hints so you can try to find it. And they were still like, obviously trying to get anything. So they're like, okay, like, tell us. And that was it. There was no other letters. Ever. 
So as I briefly mentioned, the FBI was who was heading this investigation, obviously, and they had plenty of theories over the years. The first was a man named Brian McDevitt, and he attempted to conduct a very similar art robbery during the 80s. Him and his associate drugged a FedEx driver, stole his truck, and took his uniform. And they were trying to rob an art museum up in New York, but they would fall short of their plan because they got stuck in traffic. And by the time they got to the museum, it was closed and they had no plans on how to break it. So, whoops. But they did eventually get caught for what they did do and what they were trying to do. And they'd be charged with attempted robbery. So because of those similarities and also the fact he lived 10 minutes from the museum, they decided to go question him and then talk to him in court when he was dealing with his charges. But he was not their guy. Next would be the question of, was this an inside job? Was Richard involved? Because, oh my God, as mean as it sounds, basically, I guess with like Randy, they were like, nah, there's no way he could have pulled this off. Kind of like, I can't remember what fucking case that was, but it was like, oh, it was the Hall, I think it was the Hall Mills murder where that one husband of the chick that died and they're like, no, he's too dumb to do this. And I was like, wow, y'all are rude, but okay. And then it's like, most definitely that person. (laughs) God. So they thought it was possibly Richard. So they found it interesting, and it is interesting, that the robbers were aware of where the panic button was, when to come, because also, fun fact, during this week, weekend, whatever day of the week this was, they were actually working on upgrading security equipment at the museum. So some stuff was like, not everything was 100%. Mm. So there's that. And then that the art had the attachable alarms and where to go to shut it off. And also the security tapes. So security tapes, I'm like, well, you see the monitors. It's not too hard to put two and two together, but okay. They also said it was also because like Richard wasn't able to give all the details and what the men looked like. But like we said, like not everyone can be super observant when they think they could possibly die or something or something scary is happening. So eh, on that one. But other interesting things to note is that that helped you know, that kind of like made them go with this theory for a little bit, was that the motion detector did not pick up the robbers on the first floor, even though there was a painting stolen from there. But Richard was detected on that floor earlier that evening before they came. So they're like, that's weird. And along with that, the fact that he had a history of breaking the security protocol I'm kind of half and half on this, but okay, the last one's kind of sketch, but first one's just someone being a young, dumb kid. So the first being that on New Year's Eve, the museum had a party and he snuck some of his friends in. So that's the first one, which I'm like, okay, sounds like he's being a dumbass and didn't really care, but whatever. But the second was, of course, letting the robbers or quote cops in. Then the last one is they actually discovered on the security footage that the night before the robbery, he let in an unknown person to the museum. And this person was like up by his desk and the computer and stuff. And they were talking and whatnot. And when they asked him about this, he was just like, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember letting that dude in. I don't know who he is. So I'm like, oh, he was probably under the influence of some kind if he's telling the truth, you know. But this theory, of course, turns out to be a dud as well. Now enter another person who's a private investigator. His name is Arthur Brand. He was an expert in international art crimes and went undercover multiple times, including one instance where he got back $25 million worth of art from some gang mob members. Damn! Yeah, so Arthur kind of knows his shit. So the FBI was looking into this. He was kind of looking into this towards this. And his angle was, and then what the FBI starts to look into too, because the other ones, you know, fell out, was that maybe this did have to do with organized crime. So basically, the theory Arthur 
presented was it was somebody kind of small status wise stole the art sold it to somebody nearby over in philly or somewhere like that and then it went international and over the years of investigation arthur got some information he acquired some pictures in 1991 of the artwork in what looked like a storage unit in holland and then as far as 2010 he was told that the art was with a member of the irish republic army so the thought is once it went international it was shipped like in the mid 90s to high ranking commanders of the Irish Republic Army. And then he thought they got there by a super powerful crime lord at the time whose name was Whitey Bulger. But nothing really came of that. And of course, he's like, I didn't do that. I don't know what you're talking about. Because even if he did, he's thinking going to fucking talk. That's how they keep doing their uh, careers. Hello. So so it was really up in the air who had the artwork and who stole it for a long, long time. FBI put out a $5 million reward for the return of the artwork. And then for a short period of time, they upped it to $10 million. But that would go to expire on New Year's Eve of 2017. Had to insert that. So for a long time, like I said, they looked at different crime lords, different mob people, all of that. And there was one person in particular that they really focused on, and that was Carmelo Merlino. He had actually been arrested on cocaine charges in 1992, and he told them that he would let them know where the art was if he got a reduced sentence, and that this man named David Turner would know the location. And this was either unsuccessful or a crack of shit, depending on how you look at it, because in the end, it would basically end up the FBI chasing around to different locations, and they even got to this one place. I think it was like a cellar or basement. They're like, oh my God, it's going to be here. We got it. We got it. They open it up. Nothing. But obviously, since this was an active investigation, it still technically is. Details on stuff are held to the chest, especially with like FBI involved and whatnot. But in 2015, the FBI's spokeswoman, Kristen Cetera, said, quote, the FBI believes with high confidence that we have identified those responsible for the theft, even though we still don't know where the art is currently located, end quote. And they eventually would come out and be like, yes, we know who did it, but we're not going to release their names right now. Everyone's like, what the fuck? So eventually the names do come out. And I think it was actually like during 2020 that they came out because the most recent video I saw on it was like, this just happened. And then, you know, it was like talking about it. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. So the people they believe to have robbed the museum would be George Reisfelder and Lenny DiMozio. So they weren't too far off because these two dudes were a part of Carmelo's circle and worked for him. And when reading stuff, they had said they had actually been tipped off as early as 2006 when an inmate sent a letter to Anthony Amore, who's the museum's director of security, saying that George, who was in jail for different stuff, admitted to the robbery to him. So they've been working on this a long time and, you know, had these dudes. But unfortunately, they were older and they are now deceased. So even if they were willing to talk, like, which I really doubt, the FBI is not going to be able to get answers out of them as far as where the artwork is. So to this day, they are still on the hunt for their $600 million worth of art. It's crazy. So much art. It is. It's so much for 13 pieces. Oh, I know. Because like that, that was the thing. People were like, they didn't even take that much. And it's like, no, they didn't take that much, but they took the right items. Right. So they they definitely cased out that place. Like Rembrandt is like a giant ass name. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, 
I wonder if like the guy, the unknown guy who came in and say like Richard was high or Richard was paid off, whatever you want to think on that. That was probably who was casing it out for them and looking around and stuff, you know, so they had to have been in there at some point because shit. I mean, even before that, they could have just bought tickets. Right. And walk through. There's so many things. This person could have bumped into Richard. Numer- I mean, he sounds like he was quite the partier. Yeah. And he could have ran into somebody and get drunk, loose lips, sink that ship type thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I will say if anyone listening is interested in the organized crime side of true crime, you can definitely rabbit hole with these guys because they all have like so much stuff you can go into. And I was like rabbit holing, but I was like, this is a stabby and not about them. So I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I had to stop. But like there's a lot of interesting info on there and if that's something y'all want to see in stabbies this next coming year let us know because we're happy to uh you know always rotate that in but that is our art heist that i had for today thank you guys so much for listening we hope that you guys have a healthy and safe and maybe fun new year's eve we appreciate and love all of you guys for listening to us here in 2020 even though it's been a really fucking weird year the spookster community has grown immensely and we are so grateful for you guys and love you all very very much but with that i'm gonna quit being sappy we are gonna sign off patrons you have your all tier episode up now and the rest of you we will catch you on monday for our next episode bye bye